0: Well, good morning, Gospel City Church. Turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 17, beginning at verse 20. I just want to say, Happy ruining my kids' sleep schedule day to you. Otherwise known as Daylight Savings Day, right? I just reminded on these days just to lift up and pray for our children's ministry volunteers who are leading your bad, sleepless kids to the foot of Jesus even right now. Lord, be with them this morning. Luke chapter 17, and as we dive into this text this morning, I'm going to be using a phrase multiple times. And that phrase is going to be the kingdom of God. And as I use that phrase, the kingdom of God, I want you to understand what I am talking about, what the Bible is talking about when it says the kingdom of God. So let me just give you this definition of the kingdom of God now. So whenever I use that phrase, you can reference this definition and you know what I'm referring to. Kingdom of God is this. It is the rule and reign of God here on earth through the Messiah. The rule and reign of God here on earth through the Messiah. The kingdom, it implies a king. And that king is Jesus Christ. And the kingdom implies a territory. And that territory is everywhere. All of this is God's territory. And saints, I don't think it's a coincidence or happenstance that we are talking about the kingdom of God, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ on the Sunday directly following Super Tuesday. I don't think it's coincidence or happenstance that we are talking about the rule and reign of Jesus Christ on the Sunday following sort of this political holiday. Because I think as Christians we need to be reminded and reminded again and then reminded again that there is only one on the throne and that is Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ, that king, he can't be voted out of office. That king, his territory can't be gerrymandered. This king, his citizens are made up of people from every tribe, tongue, nation, and languages and every political group. So just when we say, oh Lord, what are you, what are you doing? What's happening in politics? How good is our God to bring us right back to the throne of Jesus Christ and say his authority Stand with me if you are able in Luke chapter 17 as we read the text for this morning. Hear the word of the Lord. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God will come, he answered them. The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say look, here it is or there. For behold the kingdom of God is Is in the midst of you. Say to his disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there or look here. Do not go after them. For as lightning flashes and lights up the sky one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in his day. But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and being given in marriage until the days when Noah entered the ark. And the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot. They were eating, drinking, buying, selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on that day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let no one who was on the housetop with his goods in his house not come down to take them away. And likewise, let the one who was in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night, there will be two in a bed, and one will be taken, the other left. There will be two women grinding together, and one will be taken, and the other left. And they said to him, Where, O Lord? He said to them, Where the corpse is. There the vultures will gather. Reading of God's word, you may be seated. So we talk about the kingdom of God this morning. I'm going to be talking about it in a few different ways. We're going to be discussing the kingdom of God. I'm going to say the, the who of the kingdom of God, the what, where, when, and how of the kingdom of God. The who, what, when, where, and how of the kingdom of God. As we look at Christ ruling and reigning, we're going to say who, who? And what and when and where and why is the kingdom of God in such a fashion? First, we have to go to the who of the kingdom of God because the who of the kingdom grants us entrance into the kingdom of God, and that is Jesus Christ Himself. Notice, if you will, in Luke chapter 17, verse 20, it's a natural transition from verse 19. And what we have in verse 19 and previously is that you have Jesus healing this man of leprosy. Not only healing him, but saving his very soul. And then the Pharisees witnessing this, they still have the audacity to say, Jesus, when is the kingdom of God coming? They see Christ reign and rule not only over this man's physical body, but also over his soul. They see it, and they still say, when, when, when is the kingdom of God coming? It's like someone who's had a bad day, and they're a little anxious, a little wound up, and then you see them take lavender essential oil and, and rub it on their temples and And you see them start to relax and calm down. And then you say to them, you know what? I had a bad day. Do you know of anything that can help me relax? And they're like, well, you just just saw me put lavender essential oil on. You saw me do it. You saw the effects, right? Such is the case with the Pharisees. They see Jesus. They see him heal. They see him save. And yet in the midst of all this, it is not enough to convince them. They see all the works of Christ and it's not enough to convince them that Jesus Christ is who he said he is. He is the Messiah, he is the Savior, he is God. They still remain unconvinced. Can I talk to for a moment the the folks in the room who Who may not be Christians. Can I talk to you all for for just a moment? First of all, I just want to say you're you're welcomed here. I just want to say we we love having you here. Let me ask you a question. What will it take for Christ to convince you that he is who he says he is, Maybe you know of a friend of a family member who put their hope and faith in Jesus Christ and as a result, everything changed in their life. But still, that's not enough to convince you. Maybe you were driving past and you saw the church and something inside of you said, I need to go to church today. Maybe that's why you're here this morning. Maybe your life has taken a turn for the worse. Everything is going wrong in your life and out of desperation, you feel that the church is your last hope. If you're in one of those categories, let me tell you why we do what we do here. Let me explain to you why we we worship the Lord why we raise our hands in praise, why we sometimes cry and shout for joy and worship Jesus Christ. The reason why we do all of those things is because we believe that Jesus Christ is here, that Christ is in our midst. And if Christ is in our midst, the kingdom is here. And if the kingdom is here, the king is with the kingdom and he's granting you access right now. We believe that those who put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ are are saved from all of their sins. We don't believe that Jesus Christ saves perfect people. On the contrary, the reason why Christ had to go to the cross of Calvary, the reason why he had to die is because we're the very opposite of perfect people. Christ saves sinners. That's why we do what we do. So, if you're looking for another sign or another evidence, let this be your sign this morning that Christ is speaking to you. And He's saying He loves sinners, He loves broken people, He loves people who have piled up a sort of a ledger of unrighteous deeds. He loves those people. Because as Christ, as we go on in Luke chapter 17, he's saying to you, he's saying to us, he's saying to the Pharisees, he's saying to the disciples, all of Luke chapter 17 is screaming out to us, you don't have as much time as you think you have. When Christ comes back, it will sort of be the harmony of all those people. I wish we had more time, but brothers and sisters and friends, it will be too late then. The king is here now, and he's granting access now. Would you put your faith and hope and trust in him? That is the who of the kingdom So we continue on in Luke chapter 17, we'll understand the win of the kingdom. The win of the kingdom sort of gives us hope. If I can can add a phrase to your Christian vocabulary, let me add this phrase. And I want you to use this phrase with me, with those around you, middle of the week, Sunday morning, Saturday night. I want you to use this phrase. And this phrase is, is this, already, but not yet. I want you to use that phrase. And that's not like a pastor speak. That's not like a theological phrase. I think that phrase, the already but not yet, gives hope and perseverance into this tension that we live with on a regular basis. You know that tension. You feel it. The tension of I'm I'm free from my sin. Sin has no dominion over me, but yet I still struggle with my sin every day. I still fall into temptation. I still say yes to those things that I should be saying no to and the reverse. The already but not yet sort of speaks into those moments. Already but not yet sort of speaks into the tension of Christ. He's reigning and ruling right now. Christ is on the throne right now, but as we stand back and as we gaze at society, as we gaze at our own hearts, as we gaze at our homes, we see there's still so much brokenness. Christ, if you're on the throne and you're holy, why is there so much brokenness? The already but not yet sort of speaks into those moments. Let me give a definition of already but not yet. It's this. Even though something has already taken place, the fullness or the culmination of it has been promised by God and will take place at some time in the future. In other words, even though something is real and it has taken place, the fullness of it has not yet taken place. If I say something like that, I should have some scripture to sort of back me up, right? Let me give you one example. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Listen to what he says. He says, Dear friends, we are God's children when right now. And what we will be has not yet been revealed. We know that when he appears, we will be like him, for we will see him as he is, talking about Jesus Christ. John writes, and he says, Right now we are God's children. For those who put their faith and hope in Jesus Christ, there is nothing left for you to do to be a child of God. You are loved by him. You are beloved by him. You are in his family. But John says there's coming a time when you won't even recognize yourself because you will look just like Jesus Christ. That is good news for sinners. That is good news for those who wrestle with their sin every day. That is good news for Stephen Love. That is good news for those who want to do right. But when you do, wrong is always sort of crouching at the door. What John is saying, you're God's child now. Nothing is going to take that away. But there's coming a time when your sin won't even be an issue any longer. We say, Lord, come quickly. Come quickly, Lord. Already, but not yet. That's what he's saying about the kingdom of God in, in Luke chapter 17. Christ tells his disciples, The kingdom is here. It is here, disciples, but then he goes on to talk about the kingdom coming at a later time. Right? It's in your midst, but there's coming a time when the Son of Man, as Luke 17 says, is going to be revealed. It's the already, but not yet. Christ is on the throne, but the fullness of it has yet to be revealed. The the way in which the whole world will bow the knee to Christ and every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that has yet to come. And so we dwell in this tension of the already but not yet, Lord, you reign, you rule, you have authority, but Lord, why is there so much sin? Lord, if you reign, why does abortion still take place? Lord, if you reign, why does racism still take place? Lord, if you reign, why is there so much injustice in the world? Lord, if you reign, why is there still divorce and misogyny and abuse of power? That's the tension of the already but not yet. And so... As Christ speaks these words to us and they echo out through the corridors of time and they hit Gospel City right here, right now. Christ is saying that exists, but there's coming a day when Christ will right every single wrong. When Christ will fix everything that was broken, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. He will mend every broken heart. He will fix everything that we with our own hands have broken. That day is coming and it's a promise that Christ is going to do it already, but not yet. Use that phrase, dwell in that phrase, let that phrase comfort you on those days when you feel that tension. Christ's kingdom is here, but its fullness is coming, and it's coming soon. The what of the kingdom? The what of the kingdom gives us endurance. And if you notice there, the what of the kingdom is suffering. Like, Stephen, how in the world does suffering give us endurance? Because the what of the kingdom it is not necessarily us suffering. It is Christ suffering. Notice what he says in verse 25. But first... But first, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. First. Now, if you ever had an English teacher or English professor and you put the word first but didn't put the word second, you probably got an F on that paper. If you ever send me an email and you put A but then there's no B, I'm going to write back and be like, hey, bro, the email's incomplete. Can you give me a B, please? If there's a first, there has to be a second. And notice what Christ says comes first. First comes suffering by many things and be rejected by this generation. Christ is the consummate English speaker or Greek speaker or Hebrew speaker or whatever language he is. He's consummate. If this is first, there's got to be a second. Christ is going to suffer, but suffering is not the end of the story. Christ is going to die but the grave is going to be empty Christ is going to be crucified and and Satan is all his demons think they won but then bodies start getting up from the grave and people start getting saved and people start having victory over sin suffering first and then glory the cross and then the crown crucifixion and then salvation death And then life. The what of the kingdom is the suffering of Jesus Christ. It is him enduring what you and I cannot endure. He will endure that on our behalf. So when you and I suffer, saints, let us not begin to think that suffering is somehow peripheral to the Christian life. Suffering is the foundation of the Christian life. Suffering is not peripheral, it is the path to glory. Suffering is not on the outside, but when we suffer, the Bible says we, we come out as gold, even pure gold. So when we suffer, let us not begin to cry out, Lord, why, why me? Why me, Lord? Why have you brought this suffering my way? Why me, Lord? We should cry out, why you, Lord? Why did you suffer in my place? Why did you go to the cross instead of me? Why did you die instead of me? Why you, Lord? And then if the Lord so chooses to bring us through this suffering here on this earth, we understand that suffering doesn't have the final word. Victory does. Look to the empty tomb and you will see that suffering is a servant of Jesus Christ. Suffering always serves him. And so when we see this text, Christ must suffer first. We're like, Lord, you you would allow me to to follow in your footsteps and and suffer like you do because I know at the end of suffering, you you promise that victory will be had. The what of the kingdom is suffering. The where of the kingdom, It, it gives us relevance Because the where of the kingdom is here on earth. Verses 26 and following show us that the kingdom, when it is ushered in, it will take place right here on earth. It will affect you and I. Christ is promising two things in Luke chapter 17. I would say he's promising two things in, in all the gospel of Luke. The first thing is this, that he is the access point into the kingdom. You can't go around. You can't go above or underneath or through the back door into the kingdom. Your access point is directly through Jesus Christ. In in other words, he's promising salvation. He's promising redemption. But the second thing he's promising, friends, is that those who don't put their faith and trust in him He's promising them judgment. He's promising them the full weight and wrath of God. So your sins can only be paid for in one of two ways. Your sins are either paid for by the unrelenting, severe, catastrophic wrath of God being poured out on his son, Jesus Christ, in your place as your substitute. Praise God for that. Or the other way you pay for your sins is when the unrelenting, severe, catastrophic weight of the wrath of god is poured out on you who can bear that there's there's, there's no there's no way to make to sort of make this pretty I can't put enough makeup on what Christ is saying here. I can't smooth away the rough edges of what Jesus Christ is saying here in Luke chapter 17. Christ is saying, be found in him or be found under the wrath of God. Christ is saying, put your faith and hope in his suffering. And therefore, enter the kingdom of God or suffer yourself under the wrath of God and be found apart from Christ for all of eternity. There's no nice way to put that. So Christ gives two examples. He gives two Old Testament examples here in Luke chapter 17. He gives the account of the flood and then he gives the account of Sodom and Gomorrah. And in both accounts, as we, as we go back and look at what happens in those accounts, in both accounts, Christ doesn't necessarily dwell on the severity of the wrath of God. Oh, it's going to be severe, but he doesn't dwell on that. What he dwells on, friends, is that he, he dwells on people completely disregarding the warnings of God completely disregarding that God has warned them that a day of wrath is coming and they said God is lying. God is not going to judge us. God is not going to bring his wrath upon us. And so Christ says they went about their business, marrying and giving in marriage, buying, selling, going to and fro. There's nothing wrong with those things, but there is something wrong with those things. If you're doing those things without having done first the most important thing that you can do, and that is put your faith and hope in Jesus Christ. Nothing wrong with getting married. I'm married. My wife's sitting in the front row. She's fine. None of y'all men better agree with me. (laughs) Ladies, y'all can agree. Yeah, she's fine. She's fine. (laughs) Nothing wrong with those things. But there is something wrong if we're occupying our time with lesser things and we haven't trusted Jesus Christ. Why? Because your time is running out. It's running out. Listen, folks, in the the flood account, you know, Noah, he, he didn't build the ark in a day. It took Noah a long time to build that ark. As a matter of fact, over in 2 Peter, Peter said that as Noah was building the ark, he was a preacher of righteousness. Building the ark, preaching righteousness, and his generation was like, oh, God is not going to do that. And suddenly, suddenly the flood came and destroyed them all. God gave warning to both those in Noah's day and those in Sodom and Gomorrah's day. Destruction is coming. And both of them said, who cares? I wish, I wish I can say that everyone in this room is excited about the second coming of Jesus Christ. I wish I can say that we all look with great anticipation like Lord, come quickly, Lord, we, we long for your coming. Lord, please come. I wish everybody would leave her and say that. But I know that there are many of us in this room who will hear the words of Christ that The second coming is coming and it's coming quickly and in its wake is great destruction and wrath. And you will go home as if Christ hadn't said anything at all. You will go home and you will continue to buy and sell stocks. You will continue to play on your PlayStation and Xbox. You will continue to scroll Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and TikTok only reason I know about TikTok is I got young young nieces and nephews. Otherwise, I didn't know. As if it means nothing at all. Nothing wrong with those things. But there is something wrong with those things if you're doing those things and you haven't done the most important thing. Placing your faith in Jesus Christ because he is coming back. And if you haven't done it, when he comes back, it will be too late. found outside of Jesus Christ when he comes in his full wrath and judgment, it will be too late, friends. <laughs> You're like, man, Stephen, we get a fire and brimstone message on Daylight Savings Day? Yes. I'm just going to put it all in one day. That way you get it out the way. <laughs> we lost sleep because we set our clocks ahead. Now we're going to lose sleep because we think Christ is going to judge us. That's, that's missing the point. When Christ gives warnings in Scripture, when Christ takes the time to warn you, he does not want to destroy you. He wants to save you. Amen. This is why he gives those warnings. So we can't look at the flood account and Sodom and Gomorrah like, oh man, Christ is so judgmental. He just wants to destroy you. No, if you hear the warnings of Christ, he's saying heed them. If you hear the warnings of Christ, it is a grace of Christ in your life. He is trying to save you, not destroy you. But if you don't, if you don't get access to the king, the promise is he will destroy you. You won't be able to bear it. Let's end on a good note. The why. The why of the kingdom gives us victory. That's salvation and glory. The why of all of this, the the why of why Christ is doing all this, why he's teaching his disciples and, and educating the Pharisees why he's doing this, why Christ's life, death, and resurrection. All of the why, folks, is so that we may be saved. All of this is so we can say, hey, Christ is offering you salvation. Believe in him. Think about the providence and sovereignty of God that would bring you here to this moment and you hear Christ saying to you, if you just believe in me, I'll save you. If you just trust me, I'll save you. That is the why of all of this, that salvation is within your reach. He gives one more sort of reminder those three words that, man, they should should echo out in our hearts and our minds every day. Those three words found in verse 32, remember Lot's wife. You go back and you read the account of Sodom and Gomorrah and Lot's wife, she had escaped. She made it out the wrath of God, but yet her heart and her mind was stuck back in that place. It was stuck back in the place that God despised and so she looked back. Imagine the sadness. God has freed you, but yet your, your heart and your mind is stuck in that place that brought you so much bondage. It's tragic. This is what preacher C.A. Spurgeon says. If our hearts are glued to this world, we shall not be able to separate them in time when God destroys the world. And we shall perish with the world. It's like, man, I thought you were going to end on a good note. This is a good note. This is a good note. Because as Christ goes on to say, he says, he who preserves his life will ultimately lose it. But he who loses his life, that person will be saved. That's good news. Christ is warning you to to let go of your clutch of the things of this world, things that don't even matter. Let go of those things. And when you let go of those things, cling to Jesus Christ. You cannot simultaneously hold on to your material possessions, this material world, things that are passing away, and hold on to Jesus Christ. You can't do both. You only have the power and the grip to hold on to one. And Jesus Christ says, make it me because my salvation is eternal. And those material things are so temporary. This image. I love historical things like this. This is Pompeii in the sort of foregrounds, the ruins of Pompeii. And in the background, you have Mount Vesuvius. I don't know if you remember this account, but around 79 AD, Mount Vesuvius erupted and destroyed everything in its path. But the interesting thing about this volcano when it erupted and killed everyone in its path is that the ash from the volcano actually preserved the bodies as they were. So as you go back and look, you can see what people were doing at the moment of death. What they found valuable. Some people are holding on to their kids. Some people are in a posture of actually running away from the volcano, and some people, a lot of them, are are clutching and holding tightly coins and jewelry and material things. What good is that stuff when you're on your way to meet your maker? As a mentor of mine used to always say, you have never seen a U-Haul behind a hearse. You cannot take it with you. So Christ says, he who seeks to preserve his life, he who seeks to clutch these temporal things, to clutch material things, you're going to lose your life when he comes back. But old oh, brothers and sisters and friends, if you let it go, and you cling to Jesus Christ you will gain your life. You will gain it here and you will gain it when he comes back again. And in all that gaining we understand that our only access is through Jesus Christ. The only way into the kingdom is through the king. So we're not sitting here and getting ready to sing that our hope is in us. Hope is in Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he is our only hope. So would you stand with me as we sing this song?